This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Miracles in the wilderness. Turn with me, if you will, to, uh, to Numbers chapter 14. This is after Israel disobeys God, rebels against God at the edge of the promised land. They've already come through the, the wilderness as far as God intended for them to go. They wind up spending another 40 years out there, but that was not according to the will of God. That was according to the choice of the people. And, uh, and when they get there, they, uh, uh, they rebel against God by bringing up an evil report, the scripture says. Literally, what they did is they said, we can't do what God said we can do. Numbers chapter 14, beginning in verse 21, he says, but as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled I'm sorry, back up to verse 11. Let me put verse 11 in there, and then we'll start reading in verse 21. The Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere or before they believe me? Please notice that phrase. How long will it be before they believe me? For all the signs which I have shown unto them. Now, please notice what God is saying. Verse 11 is is, uh, confirmed a number of different places, a number of different ways. But it's so clear in the way that God is saying this when the people rebel against God. They bring up an evil report of unbelief. They say, we can't take the promised land. No matter what God's done, no matter who God is, no matter what God said, we can't take the promised land. God says, how long will it be before they believe me? For all the signs, the miracles that I've shown unto them. Please notice, miracles are designed for you to believe God. Not the other way around. Now, believing God will bring miracles. But miracles, according to what God said, miracles were designed for the children of Israel to believe his word. Believe God means to believe what he says, right? So he says, how long is it going to be before these people believe me? Everything about what God did, all the power that he showed, all the plagues in Egypt, all the parting of the Red Sea, all the miracle uh, wilderness miracles, all those things that took place were designed for one and only one thing, and that was for the people to believe God. And that's what they refused to do when they got to the promised land. They said, no, we can't do it. Yeah, but God said you could. Caleb and Joshua said, God's on our side. We can take the land. They said, no, 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 can't do it. They refused to believe. Now skip with me over to verse 21. We'll pick up there again where we started a minute ago. But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all these men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times, and have not hearkened unto my voice, surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see see it. Please notice that failing to believe God cost them the promised land. What is the promised land a type of? It's not a type of salvation. The Bible says that the parting of the Red Sea, the crossing over the Red Sea, was the, the, the equivalent the people being baptized under Moses is what Paul called it in Second, First Corinthians chapter 10. He said, that's a type of salvation. The promised land is a type of the blessings of the believer. See, there was no fight to fight when it came to the parting of the Red Sea. There was no battle to fight. There was no enemy to defeat. God did it all. Just like Jesus has done it all for us in the work of the cross. But the blessings that belong to the believer, that's a different thing. That's where you have to fight the good fight of faith. Have you ever noticed there is no good fight of faith to get saved? It's a choice. Simple choice. 
That's not true where the blessings of God are concerned for the believer. That's not true where the blessings of healing are concerned, the blessings of provision are concerned. That's not true where any of the things that Jesus purchased for us on the cross that we're supposed to take part of and partake of here on the earth, possess, if you will, here on the earth, just like they were intended, Israel was intended to possess the promised land. That's not the way it works for us. It's not a matter of just making up your mind. You make up your mind and then you enter into the fight. And that's the good fight of faith that Paul talks about fighting. And so the people, the congregation, sided in with the ten spies and they said, no, we can't do it. God says there will be some exceptions. Verse 24, but my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him. Please notice how he says that. He had another spirit with him. What was the difference in Caleb and Joshua and the rest of the congregation? They said we could do it. That's it. They saw the same giants. They saw the same walls with the, or the cities with the walls around them. They saw the same armies that the people of the land had. They saw everything the same as the children of Israel did that sided in with the ten spies. Saw everything exactly the same. They just said, we can do it because God's on our side. Did they feel stronger than the ten? Did Caleb and Joshua, the two spies that had a good report and believed God, did they feel stronger than the ten spies that had an evil report? You think so? It sure doesn't say so. They probably looked at the walls around the city and thought the same thing as the others. Man, those are big. But God's on our side. They may have even looked at it and said, man, if God wasn't on our side, we'd be toast. Our goose would be cooked in this thing. But God's on our side. They saw everything exactly the same. The difference was they spoke what they believed rather than what they saw they said we can do it because god's on our side but my servant caleb because he had another spirit with me uh, with him and has followed me fully by believing and speaking that's how you follow god fully you believe his word and speak it he had another spirit with him and has followed me fully him will i bring into the land whereunto he went and his seed shall possess it Skip around with me verse uh, 27 or verse 26. And the Lord spake unto Moses and to Aaron saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation? The only thing they've done is is disagreed with what God said. He's not talking about evil because of the, the golden calf and all the stuff that was surrounding that. He's not talking about evil with anything else except this situation. He said, How long shall I deal or uh, bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel which murmur against me. Verse 28, say unto them, as truly as I live. In other words, here's an eternal law. God lives forever. Here's an eternal law. That means it still works today. As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as you have spoken in mine ears, so will I do unto you. Now notice several things about this, folks. Notice what you speak in the ears of God is what you'll have. That's the law of God. It's the law of God then. It was actually the law of God before they knew it, before God even says it here in Numbers chapter 14. It's the law of God now. It'll always be the law of God. It's an eternal law. It doesn't even end when the earth, the new earth, new heaven and new earth are made. This is the law of God. It's an eternal law, everlasting law. As you have spoken in my ear, so will I do unto you. Everybody in this story gets exactly what they said. Now notice the connection with that. He said in verse 20, the whole earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Why? 
because he'll deal with us according to what we say. Notice that connection is there too. Notice the promised land is taken by those who speak victory over the promised land. Doesn't mean there's not a fight. Doesn't mean there's not enemies to stand against. But everybody gets what they say. That is the principle, the unchanging, everlasting, eternal law of God. It's the principle of faith. You get what you say. Now, the whole purpose for this, the whole purpose for the miracles, according to what God said, is so the people would speak, believe, and therefore speak in agreement with what God's already told them. And they refused. They refused. Another thing that I want you to make a note of is in Exodus chapter 13, when the children of Israel first came out of Egypt, it says that in chapter 13 of Exodus, verses 17 and 18, let me read this to you. And it came to pass when Pharaoh had led the people go that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war. And they returned to Egypt, but God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. So the miracles were for two things. Number one, so that the people, to enable the people to believe God and take him at his word, and secondly, to prepare them for war. Because there are going to be battles to fight when they get to the promised land. This two-year span between the parting of the Red Sea and the, or two and a half years, two years and a few months anyway, this uh, period of time between the parting of the Red Sea and the, uh, the coming to the promised land, the purpose for coming to the promised land is to defeat the promised land enemies or the inhabitants and take possession of it. But God had to prepare them for war. He prepared them for war by showing them who he was, by showing them his power, by showing them his provision, showing them that he was trustworthy, he could be taken at his word. That's what all this was for. So that they would believe him and be ready to fight. They get to the promised land, they don't believe him, and they're not ready to fight. Exodus chapter 17, first part of the chapter talks about the water coming from the rock. The next miracle is, is um, uh, Israel and Amalek, how God defeats the, the armies of Amalek. In verse 8, it says, Then came Amalek and fought with Israel and Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose out men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the rock with the rod of God in my hand. Now let me, uh, let me fast forward a little bit to let you know who Amalek is. Uh, the Amalekites were uh, 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 the first um, people we have record of that were terrorists. Because in Deuteronomy, when Moses is making his final address to the people, Deuteronomy chapter 25 Moses speaks this about them. This is verses Deuteronomy 25, verses 17 through 19. Moses said this. He said, remember what Amalek did unto thee. This is 40 years later, by the way, when he makes this comment. Remember what Amalek did unto thee, by the way, when you were come forth out of Egypt. How he met thee, by the way, and smote the hindmost of thee. That means he attacked from the rear. Even all that were feeble behind thee, when thou were faint and weary. And he feared not God, therefore it shall be when the Lord thy God has given thee rest from all thine enemies round about in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance to possess it, that thou shalt blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven, thou shalt not forget it. In other words, he's saying there'll be no trace of Amalek, so make sure you remember what God did. The King James English is a little difficult there, but that's what it means. It means God is going to do away with those that attacked you from the rear. They didn't come out like an army with integrity and, and fought against you. They attacked from the rear where the people that were the weakest and 
and the, the most feeble and the older folks and stuff like that, they terrorize you by making rear attacks. So that's what's coming. And that's what Moses says about Amalek. Now, this is who these people are. So Moses said, we'll read verse 9 again. Moses said unto Joshua, choose out men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hands... Amalek prevailed. And it tells about how Moses got tired. And so they, uh, Aaron and her propped up, uh, put it, set Moses down on a rock and propped up his hands so that they would win the battle. But I want you to see something about this. What in the world does Moses' hands, up or down, have anything to do? How in the world could it have anything to do with victory or defeat in a battle? You've got to recognize the supernatural, even miraculous aspect of this. Now, one of the things that's interesting about this is that this seems to be Moses' idea. Look at how Moses changes throughout all this. Not only focus on the miracles and see what God has done and the power of God and so forth, but look at how Moses changes throughout this this progression. Moses stood before the Red Sea and said to the people, don't worry, God will deliver you. And turns around and says, God, what are we going to do? Now, instead of Moses saying to God, how are we going to defeat this enemy? Moses just simply says, I'll go up on top of the hill. He's not even the one that says, when I hold my hands up, we'll win. But somehow or another, maybe it's through trial and error. Maybe it's through Moses just showing himself before the people. I don't know what it is. But it's Moses' action. It's Moses' initiation. And when Moses' hands are up, they win. Now, what does this signify for us? I mean, all these things are types and shadows. What does this mean for us? Notice it's not just a matter of Moses having the rod in his hand. It's presenting it. And the rod represents the name of Jesus for you and me. It's not a matter of what name you have. The name that you have been given because you're a child of God is the most powerful name in the universe. But you've got to do something with it. You've got to utilize it. Moses had to hold it forth. He had to make it prominent before the people in order for it to work. I'm reminded of what Paul said in Romans chapter 1 verse 16. He said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. To the Jew first. And to the Greek second, Gentile second. To everyone that believes. Well, what does believing mean? Believing means putting it out front. You got so many Christians that are walking around the earth with the power of God at their disposal because they are children of God. And they're walking around in defeat saying, I don't know why God's letting this happen to me. Because you won't stick the rod up. You won't stand up boldly and say, I'm one that you can count on being on God's side. Folks, that's what it takes. And it's going to take more of that in the last days. You're not going to be able to be a covert Christian and walk in victory. You're going to have to risk being called a fanatic. You're going to have to risk being called one of those tongue-talking people, one of those crazy Christians. And I would submit to you folks that it's worth being called or thought of in any and every way that the world can, can come up with to walk in victory. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Now, whatever somebody, you or me or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, Matthew eight seventeen tells us why he healed everybody that was sick. 
Jesus healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. I want you to notice in uh, chapter 33, Moses asked to see God's glory. And then in chapter 34, it tells that, uh, that God passed by before him. Notice in verse 10 what God says to Moses. After the children of Israel have sinned, after the children of Israel have made a golden calf, after they've rebelled and done what you and I would think, you know, it can't get any worse than this, but it will. Notice what God says, and God knows this all along. God's not surprised by what happens in Numbers 13. He's not surprised by the people worshiping the golden calf. None of this takes him by surprise, even if it takes Moses by surprise. And so notice what God said in verse 10 of chapter 34. God said, Behold, I make a covenant. Before all the people I will do marvels. This is the word miracles. Before all the people I will do miracles. Such as have not been done in all the earth nor in any nation. And all the people among which thou art shall see the work of the Lord. For it is a terrible, literally awesome thing that I will do with thee. Please notice that God doesn't stop his willingness to do miracles because the people mess up. Now, again, remember what the miracles are for. Miracles are for two things. Number one, that you'll believe God and his word. And secondly, so you'll be prepared for war. You and I have to be prepared for battle too. Now, our war is not like their war. We don't fight against the Amalekites and the Canaanites and the Jebusites and whoever else. We fight the good fight of faith. But we do have an enemy. And he's relentless in his, in his attacks. We found that to be true, haven't we? And God doesn't give up on miracles. He doesn't give up on showing his power. He doesn't give up in talking to his servants, your sons. I, I would make the case that sons have a greater place in relationship with God than servants do. But God doesn't give up even on his servants because they mess up. He's still willing to show miracles and do awesome things among them so that everybody else sees Now, why would God care about doing that for Israel so that their enemies, the Amalekites, the Jebusites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Hittites, and whoever else, why would he care to show them what awesome things he'll do for Israel and not want to show the world what awesome things he'll do for the church? See, so many times the devil will speak, sit on your shoulder and say, yeah, but all that Old Testament stuff, those miracles and stuff, that was just for Israel. Yeah, servants. You're telling me that God will do more for his servants than he'll do for his sons? I don't believe it. Moses and the miracle workers of the Old Testament had nothing in comparison to what you have. They had an outward experience, an external experience with God. You've got the Spirit of God living on the inside of you. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. The miracle worker is in you. In you. Not shows up to help you from time to time. He's in you. 
And if we can learn from some of the Old Testament miracles what they were designed for, what they were intended to produce in the people and operate according to the way that God intended, we can get the same miracles for us. So God said, I'll make a covenant. He's not talking about a new covenant. He's talking about establishing the covenant that he already had with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'll establish it in miracles. I'll do awesome things with you. Turn with me over to Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11 tells us another miracle event. This is before they get to the edge of the promised land. And this is one that even baffles Moses. Numbers chapter 11. Let's start in verse 13. The children of Israel murmuring against Moses. Big surprise there. They're complaining because all they have is this manna to eat. So Moses is complaining to the Lord and Moses says in verse 13, he said, where should I give flesh to the, uh, where should I have flesh to give unto all these people? For they weep unto me saying, give us flesh that we may eat. I'm not able to bear all these people alone because it's too heavy for me. And if you deal thus with me, kill me, I pray thee out of thy hand. If I have found favor in your sight and let me not see my wretchedness. Now, when you get to where you're praying that Lord, if I found favor in your sight, just kill me. So I don't have to deal with these people. You know, you've got a, a, a scraggly bunch of folks when you're saying, I'd rather die so I don't have to deal with these people. And the Lord said unto Moses, gather unto me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be elders of the people, and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation, that there they may stand with thee. And I will come down and talk with thee there, and I will take of the spirit which is upon thee, and will put it upon them, and they shall bear the burden and they shall of the people with thee, and thou shalt not bear it alone. And say unto the people, Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow, and you shall eat flesh. For you have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, Who shall give us flesh to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you flesh, and you shall eat. Notice what they're saying. We were better off as slaves than out here trusting God. Now how many, I know this sounds um, shocking to us in, in one sense, I guess. But how many times have you had the devil say, you didn't have it this bad before you started trusting God. I've had people come up and tell me that all the time. Pastor Mike, I never had this kind of trouble before. But when I started trusting God, it seemed like all hell broke loose. Well, so what do you want? You want to go back to when you didn't have anything, didn't know anything? That's what they're saying. Oh, if only we could go back to when we were slaves. It's amazing to me how when the devil gets in people's thinking, what goals they set for themselves. Oh, if only we could be slaves. Well, you didn't like it when you were slaves. What makes you think you'd like it to go back? Verse 19. Here's God speaking. He said, you shall not eat one day, nor two days, nor five days, neither 10 days, nor 20 days, but even a whole month. He's saying, I'll give you a month's worth of quail. Even a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils. And it be loathsome unto you because you have despised the Lord which is among you and have wept before him saying, why came we forth out of Egypt? And Moses said, the people among whom I am are 600,000 footmen and thou hast said, I will give them flesh that they will eat a whole month. Moses is saying, you know how many people we've got, Lord? Shall the flocks and the herds be slain for them to suffice them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to suffice them? In other words, he's saying, where in the world are you going to get that kind of meat? 
How, would, how in the world can you come up with that much meat? Notice Moses is talking like this. And the Lord said unto Moses, Is the Lord's hand waxed short? Thou shalt see now whether my words shall come to pass unto thee or not. And Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord and gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and set them round about the tabernacle. And the Lord came down in a cloud and spake unto him and took of the spirit that was upon him and gave it unto them, the 70 elders. And it came to pass that when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied and did not cease. But there remained two of the men in the camp. The name of the one was Eldad and the other was Medad. And the spirit rested upon them that they were of them that were written, but went out not out of, unto the tabernacle and they prophesied in the camp. And there ran a young man and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad do prophesy in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of Moses, one of the young men answered and said, My Lord, Moses, forbid them. In other words, we've got to keep you special. We can't have everybody prophesy. And Moses said unto him, Envious thou for my sake? Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Now keep that in mind. That's Moses' attitude. I wish everybody knew God and was walking with God and talking with God like I am. That'd be fine with me. I'm not trying to be special. And Moses got into the camp, got him into the camp, and he and the elders of Israel. Verse 31, And there went forth a wind from the Lord and brought quails from the sea and let them fall by the camp as it were a day's journey on this side and as it were a day's journey on the other side. Round about the camp as it were two cubits high. Two cubits is, a, is a, about three feet high. About two, three feet high upon the face of the earth. And the people stood up all that day and all that night and all the next day and they gathered the quails. And he that gathered least gathered ten homers and they spread them around about, or all abroad for themselves round about the camp. While their flesh was yet between the teeth, ere it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was kindled against the people and the Lord smote the people with a great plague. Folks, unbelief never works even when you get what you want. So it tells us that he brought up enough quail for these people to have for a month. Can you imagine three feet high? That'd be about this high. Three feet high for a day's walk in every direction. Now where's God get that many birds? I mean, we can just look at the, at the end result and say, wow, wasn't that a big deal? But where did these things come from? The wind by the sea? Folks, you look at any map, there is nothing that exists between them and the sea that would be any kind of haven for birds of that number. Where did they come from? Nobody's got an answer for it. It's a rhetorical question. You don't have to try to answer or try to figure it out. The, rea the reality is there is no explanation for how God could come up with this many birds. But he came up with so many that the people were choked on birds. By the time this month is up, they are saying, get these birds away from us. And not only did God bring the birds, he had them just lay there for the people to gather them up. They're not having to chase birds. These birds come, fall, and are just ready to be picked up. And we worry about God being able to give us an extra couple of hundred dollars. God's Word is the answer for every problem we'll face in this life. What a privilege it is to believe God and to walk by faith. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. 
The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. It's talking about the same work of crucifixion, the same work on the cross, the same redemptive work by Jesus dying on the cross and being raised from the dead, provided not only salvation for the inner man, the spirit of man, but also healing for the physical body. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.